0: I'm sure that when I came up here, you said, okay, we know what Steve's going to talk about today. He's going to talk about the end times and talk to us about all the things that are happening in the world today, the wars, the rumors of wars, and the famine, and the drought, and all that stuff. Guess what? You're wrong. Or maybe you think I'm going to talk to you about money and how important it is that you tithe and have offerings to the Lord's work. And... And you can't get a blessing unless you plant seeds. Guess what? You're wrong. Today I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time since probably it's been two years now, I guess, since I actually taught um, from the scriptures on our Wednesday night services. But those of you who looked at our Facebook, how many of you know what we're we're going to study today? Show of hands. One, two. Aha! Uh-huh. So, <laughs> Facebook is an excellent thing. You see, we have teachings on there three times a week Wednesday night, Saturday morning, and Sunday morning. And we welcome all the people who are joining us now on Facebook and YouTube. But today's topic is Ruth. So, if you'll take your Bibles out and open them to the book of Ruth that follows Judges. And all, you, all of those that have your swords handy, we have the new compact version of the sword or the paper kind. So the story about Ruth is pretty, pretty straightforward. It's only four chapters. You can read it in about 15 minutes, but you can't understand it until you spend some time in it. It's a beautiful story about ordinary people that are facing extraordinary circumstances the characters in the in the program are, by the way, the names of them are important because in Hebrew a person's name is to know his character. So when Abraham becomes Abram, he receives a new name. When God tells his name, he's telling his character. Uh, when when God's covenant name is YHWH, people pronounce it Yahweh, Jehovah. There's different characters that are represented there. But Elimelech is one of the parties and it means God is king. Naomi means pleasant or lovely or delightful. Mara means bitter. Ruth is friendship. Now, interesting thing about the book of Ruth. It's only two books in the Bible named after women. You know what the other one is? Esther, yes. You know, she's also the only woman in the book that is a Gentile, not a Jewess. Interesting. Ophrah means actually, it was supposed to be Oprah, but they misspelled it. It's Ophrah. She means that means firmness, and Obed means servant, and Malone, one of the children of Elimelech and Naomi. It's translated sickly. Gilion is translated puny. I don't know why I would name two kids after that, but hey. And Boaz means strength. Now you know all the ca- characters. There's one other character, but he's nameless. So I will just call him nameless. So the first... The first chapter of Ruth says, "This is the sword I don't like, because it keeps going back to to starting over again." In the days when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem of Judea, or Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife and his two sons. First mistake, and the second mistake. Elimelech was a wealthy individual. He had land, he had a home. He had plenty of things to keep him right where he was in Bethlehem. But because of the famine, he was concerned that he may be pressured. And so he and his family went to Moab. Moab, if you'll recall, is not a place that Jews were supposed to go. They were not supposed to be there. In fact, it it is a long history behind that. But Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they went to the country, country of Moab and continued there. But Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. So you could see that perhaps he should have trusted God. Instead of trusting God to provide, Elimelech took his wife, and went to Moab, thus leaving the land of promise. A wrong move. They were about 10 years, and something. sometime in that period, he died. His boys stayed on a little bit longer, and they married two Moabitess women, Ruth and Ophrah. Now, <clears throat> the tension between Moab and Israel starts back in Numbers 22. It leads to the episode of the Shazam, which... Israelite men began whoring themselves with daughters of Moab. This is followed by the Israelite idolatry, and thereby echoing the strong warning in Exodus thirty-four, twelve through sixteen, against going after the gods of the inhabitants of the land and marrying their daughters. In seeming contrast to their incestuous origins, therefore, the Moabites now possess an egonomous threat. What stays the same, however, is the underlying depiction of Moab as a place of sexual debancy. Like their foremothers, Lot's daughters, moreover, it's implied that in the daughters of Moab who are the doing the seducing, for it's they who invite the people of the sacrifices of their God and people ate and bowed down to their gods, Numbers 25 and 26. So... If we go on with her story, going to, going, <coughs> marrying the Moabite women, which was a bad move and I just read to you why, they had, that they had no children and they too died. Both of the boys died, not to be unexpected because sickly and puny are going to have troubles living in, a Moab, in an area of Moab anyway. Now there are three widows, a very bad situation for the women in a patriarchal society. Naomi now had inherited the property that belonged to Elimelech. Problem was, in that patriarch society, she couldn't do anything with it. She couldn't raise crops and sell them. She anis- honestly could only pass it on. And it's not really supposed to be passed on to anyone who is outside of the family. So in, in Ruth 1 through 6... Tw- Naomi hears of the famine and she decides that well the famine's over, so I can go back to my home, go back to Bethlehem. And she tries to get the young women to stay in Moab because they're Moabites. Ophrah does, but Ruth refuses and insists on going with Naomi, who knows that a Moabitess will be looked upon with scorn as an outsider. And they arrive in Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest, which is the about April, May period. And in that barley harvest, she meets a man by gleaning in the field. And there's a, there's a scripture that talks about this. Leviticus 23, says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So Naomi and Ruth are in Bethlehem. They have no money. They're now poor. But Ruth is a hard worker. And she's committed to taking care of Naomi. And she knows of the rules regarding harvest. And she knows that she can be allowed to go out and glean in the fields, and she asks Naomi if she can do that. And uh, Naomi says, sure, my daughter, go ahead. And she does. And as as it would happen, verse three through 17, she finds herself in the fields that belong to Boaz, and he takes notice of her. Now she's about 40 at that time, and he's about 80 but he's a wealthy, wealthy guy. He owns a lot of fields. He knows of her devotion to Naomi, uh, a Hebrew, even though she's a Moabitess. Verse 18, Naomi uh, senses the interest in Boaz has in Ruth and switches gears. Now she's the matchmaker. Those of you who know the story of the matchmaker, Jerusalem and Hebrews, there were women often made matches for their daughters and husbands made debt matches for their daughters. But here's the rule that caused this all to come about. In Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 9, it says, If brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, his wife shall not be married outside of the family. So Naomi could not be married outside the family and Ruth could not be married outside of the family her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn son shall succeed in the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go into the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to continue in his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then she shall then then shall his brother's wife come to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his shoe and spit in his face and shall answer. So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house." Pretty harsh, right? Guy loses his shoe and gets spit in the face. Seemingly a little, a little rough. But we go into chapter 3 now, and verses 1 through 4 kind of follow along in this manner. The matchmaker, Naomi, gives uh, Ruth instructions to gussy herself up. Get dressed up. Put your makeup on. Put, perfume yourself. Anoint yourself. Put your best dress on, and go on out and do thus tells Ruth what to do that night. Barley harvest is over, and Boaz will be in his threshing room, threshing out the barley, winnowing out the chaff from the grain. And it, it'll it take him a long time. And he will spend the night there. So she tells her, um, you go out and you lay down beside him. And don't let anybody know that he's there. After he's through eating and drinking, after the." the winnowing is over, he'll lay down and go to sleep. And when he's asleep, you go in and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. This is kind of the same concept of the shoe. He's uncovering his feet. About midnight, he wakes up. And uh, kind of a shock. Because remember, there's no lighting there. It's just dark. He doesn't know who's there. So... Naomi has already figured out that Boaz is a near kinsman, someone in the family line. And so she has seen that Boaz is interested in Ruth and has helped her out with a grain, and she's been told her to spend the time in my fields, don't go to anybody else's fields, I will take care of you. So that night, Ruth slips in there, lays down at his feet, and he wakes up and he's kind of shocked and uh, he talks to her and she says, you're my near kinsman and you can redeem my family. You can redeem Naomi's land because you're a near kinsman and you can marry me and you can continue my brother, my husband's line by having a son with him. And He has great respect for her based on how hard she worked in the field, how she was honorable to her her mother-in-law. And he said, all that you ask of me, I will do. And so he gives her 60 pounds of grain and suggests she leaves before the sun comes up so everybody will not be aware that she's there. And she packs that grain home and Naomi's ecstatic. She says, he's going to take care of this situation. He's going to provide the kinsman's duty according to the Leverite law. In Hebrew, it's called Sebum. He's going to marry you. And so during that course of the conversation, he also tells Ruth, but there's one who has the right before me. There's one one who has closer kinsmen than I. And he has the right to redeem the land, if he will, and marry you. So the next day, he's not letting any grass grow under his feet. He goes to the city gate where all the business is done. And he calls 10 of the city's leaders, the elders of the the city there. And he calls the unnamed next of kin, who could be the kinsman redeemer, there to meet. What happens from that point forward is kind of interesting. Boaz sets a salesman's trap. He says, there is a field which Naomi has sold and it has to be redeemed. You are the next of kin and you can redeem it. Now to redeem it, he had to be willing, he had to be able to afford it. That's all. That was the only qualifications and he had to be a next of kin or or a kinsman in line. And so he says, okay, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz says, oh, by the way, there's one other stipulation. You must also marry the widow of Malone and have a son with her. Guy says, I cannot do that. She's a Moabitess, number one. Number two, I'm already married. I have heirs. And if I do this, I could jeopardize my lineage so he says you go ahead you marry her and that opens the door so that boaz can do that he takes a sandal the guy takes his sandal off and hands it to boaz in the presence of the 10 elders and that seals the deal um, interesting way of contracting business now he ends around ends up with walking around on with one foot covered and the other bare i don't Know how that all worked out. So here's what finally happens Ruth goes home, the deal's done, and <coughs> Boaz recites the deal to the gatherer that witnesses and said, They all were asked to say, Will you witness? And they say, all, We'll all witness this. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verses 13 through 32. Basically, Boaz, who is now 80 years old, and Ruth, who is now 40 years old. And this is extra biblical information. You don't, it's not mentioned within the scripture how old they are. You have to research it. And she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord caused her to conceive and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close kinsman, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be you to you a restorer of life and nourisher and supporter in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became his nurse. And her neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son is born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. What we don't hear without looking at this carefully is the day after the wedding, Boaz died. Interesting. He was 80 years old. He had a child. I'm 81. I would probably die too. (laughs) been there, done that. So if you look at verse 18 now, chapter four, these are the descendants of Perez. And here we see a little genealogy. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Abinadab, Abinadab of Nashon, Nashon of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Who is his mother? Anybody know? Rahab the harlot is the mother of Boaz. You start going back in the lineage and you find there are some women of questionable qualities that have been used to greatness in the the life of our savior. Obed of Jesse, he gave birth to father of Jesse, and Jesse to David of the lineage of Jesus Christ. So here we have a story about love right from the beginning, the love of Boaz for Ruth and Ruth for Naomi, and then the kinsman redeemer kind of identified like we are today. We've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the story that was told in a kind of strange way in four chapters in the book of Ruth. David, it's interesting to note, slew Goliath. Remember the story? Can you, do you remember who Goliath's great grandmother was? Orpha, the other Moabitess daughter-in-law, who left and went back to worship her false gods, interesting how those two families kind of stayed together, broke apart, and yet back in the day where David and Goliath meet, and David overcomes Goliath, um, they're related. Orpha was the mother, grand, great-grandmother and, uh, of Goliath, and Ruth was the great-grandmother of David. So the book of Ruth is traditionally read along with the Ten Commandments on Shabbat, that's the Jewish Pentecost, because it's a link to the harvest season, when the story takes place, and because of Ruth's acceptance of the Jewish faith and God. Ruth was a brave non-Jewish woman whose love for God and the Torah left her, led her to convert to Judaism. Ruth has a further connection to Shabbat because she is a great grandmother of King David, who, according to tradition and the genealogies of the scripture, was born and died on Shavuot. In summary, the book Book of Ruth is a marvelous story of love, love of Ruth for Naomi, Naomi for Ruth, and each one of the best for each other that come what may. It's also the story of love of Boaz for Ruth. It started in his showing her kindness out of respect for the way she had stood by Naomi, and admiration for her diligent work in the field and his perception of her beauty. It concluded when she proposed to him as someone who could be the kinsman redeemer on the threshing room floor, and he acknowledged and accepted, knowing he had obstacles to overcome. First, there was another, and secondly, she was a Moabite woman, a, gentle with all the, a Gentile with all the negatives that they had. However, Ruth had pledged herself to Naomi in that she would go where she went, worship who she worshiped, die when she died, or by the same hand. So Ruth proved out in a whole story, which only takes four chapters and about 15 minutes to read, the story about the kinsman redeemer. And if you think about it, Jesus Christ, the son of God, took us, Gentiles. And he was our kinsman redeemer. Interesting how the story ties around, doesn't it? We are the children of God because of the redemption of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's important that we recognize that every bit of the Old Testament has a story to tell about the life of Jesus Christ one way or the other. Sometimes it's in um, a history lesson. Sometimes it's in poetry. Skip Heitzig said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I think that's an excellent illustration because it takes understanding the Old Testament to be able to understand the New. So many things are, are explained Once you understand the story, remember the only Bible that the apostles had, the Bible that Jesus Christ quoted when he was alive on earth was the Tanakh, the Old Testament. That's all he had. That's what they grew up with. That's why so many stories in the Old Testament they were familiar with. So when he said something that's recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke or John in the red letters of your Bible, he's making a comment about something that first century group of Christians knew because they knew the Old Testament from the time they were children. They studied it, they understood it, they memorized much of it. So they knew the stories. So even though something might sound strange to us, If you don't know the story, you don't get the drift. This one was very interesting to me because the kinsman redeemer, I've heard the word, but until I actually studied the book, I didn't understand what it was all about. I didn't understand that it went clear back to Leviticus and beyond that into Exodus. Didn't understand that didn't understand about gleaning and working in the field and the poor people being able to come in after the reapers and pick up what they needed. Grapes, fruits, grains, everything that was left after the harvest, they didn't go back and do it again. The poor people came in and got their share. They got what they needed and in that way they were taken care of. And I think that's a beautiful situation. It's also a great illustration of what we should be doing ourselves, Today, with funds God has provided us, if you think about those who have an income, that's your harvest for the seeds that you planted. And part of that harvest can be given. And you'll be blessed because of it. So in a way, I'm talking about the blessings of giving, aren't I? And we don't have much time left, folks. If you're looking at the signs of the time, if you're looking at reading the news about what's going on right now in Israel, right now, the war rumblings around that area, you've got to know that God's, Jesus is coming back soon. Blessings involved. We really have blessings involved. We're supposed to be doing exactly what those harvesters did. Bible says it's white, need harvesters. The field is ripe for harvest. We need to go out and harvest. Everyone needs to be told. Our job, we're saved not to sit in these nice cushy chairs and listen to somebody talk. We're saved to work. Can't get to heaven by working, promise you that, but you can get to heaven and store up treasures in heaven by doing what God's commandment go out and tell people, make disciples out of them, help people who need help, love people who need love. That's exactly what Jesus would do. I remember people wearing wristbands. What would Jesus do? WWJD. Well, how about what has Jesus already done? Because that's what we need to be doing. If you don't know the Lord as your savior, Uh, Or if you know someone who doesn't know the Lord or the Savior, pray for them, talk to them, share with them. Do what you can to help them enter the kingdom. Help them to know their kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves each and every one of us. This message is a little short because I picked a short book. But I hope that you will enjoy the message and go back to your homes and read the book of Ruth with a little different viewpoint, with more understanding of what's really going on in that time. So thank you for being so attentive. We'll close with a word of prayer. Father God, I just pray that the word given today will touch people will help people, will lead people to know you in a more deep and meaningful way. Bless all who are here, who heard it. Bless those who were watching on Facebook or YouTube. And bless all with your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.